0: I would say our main topic is dark winter, but I want to open with Jamestown and I can close with Jamestown too, because I want to focus on action at the end, which is what I'm getting at with reading lists, which I'm happy to give people reading lists, but at some point it's like, you have to do something. So,
1: Well, that's an interesting topic right there. Yeah. I want to capture that even if we don't put it in this episode. Can you you explain that for my sake?
0: Yeah. uh, People always want reading lists and I get them for this show. I get them... And what I teach and everything. And that's fine. And I recommend reading over lots of other things you could be doing with your time, but there is a limit to these kinds of things because wisdom involves practice and practice involves interaction with other humans or growth in skills or, you know, thinking about how you react to things and how you could react better. And reading doesn't capture all of those things, even though it can spur them and inform them. So there's a there's a big difference between reading and doing and um doing is finally more valuable
1: i've been kind of wrestling with this uh, in mindfulness terms being present versus being say somewhere else in a story thinking about some other thing that is other than where i am yeah which can lead me to learn wisdom but is not wisdom In many cases itself uh, because what I am might be more important than what I'm thinking about by a million light years and I think most of the modern experience has been one of being trapped in stories from far away. That have have made us less yeah. mindful about what's right here in front of us. I'm just go ahead and we will probably open with that. Uh, welcome to a brief history of power to white guys. What do we know? We're just pondering the ethereal realities of everything. Adam Kuntz, he's a doctor. He's he works at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana, teaching guys. And I'm Jonathan Fisk. I'm a pastor up here in Northwestern Illinois. Um,
0: <laughs> nice. It's a
1: dark winter. It's snow today. Which is kind of cool. It's really pretty. woke up and saw the the snowfall, just raining, and rain's chasing it away already. But we want to start today by something we've planned to talk about for a while, which is Jamestown. And yet, recognizing that Jamestown and the concept of a dark winter, if you haven't already heard the term dropped twice, it'll be dropped a lot through this episode. They're not really completely distant from each other. Maybe closer than, than people would like to think. How much of this is the patterns of history repeating themselves? But before you can even ask that, you got to know, you know, what's the difference between Jamestown and, say, Charlestown?
0: <laughs> uh, we're two days from Thanksgiving in the United States as we record this, and a lot of people don't know that the first Thanksgiving in what would become the United States occurred at Jamestown and not at Plymouth, simply because Virginia was settled first, and having public days of... Uh, repentance and fasting and thanksgiving, those things all went together. It wasn't sort of a pig out uh, necessarily. Those occur anytime that the colonists, whether in Virginia or Massachusetts, get through a hard winter, right? So these things will happen in the respective colonies after there is a long period of incredible attrition and not just attrition mentally or emotionally or psychologically, which is a lot of what we'll talk about with the term dark winter, as it's been used since about 2001. But in terms of human lives, those winters were dark, those first winters in the colonies, in some cases, half of colonists died of various causes. And there's a way in which, and this is something that's this that is, this is in one yeah, year. No.
1: This is one year, right?
0: Yeah, one one winter. Yeah. yeah. And that's what, yeah. it's
1: just got to be, you got to slow down for the modern person. It's like, oh yeah, a couple winters, a couple people die. No, 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 no.
0: No. no. Half no, Half the people no. you
1: know next year are gone because of this that's winter. Right. That would be a dark winter. Let's pray we don't have one. Please continue, Dr. Coons.
0: Well, that's right. And it, and it, it's also why, you know, there. if that hadn't happened, there would be, I mean, there are actually millions of Mayflower descendants in the United States today there would probably be twice as many, um, maybe 6 million instead of 3 million, if the attrition rate had not been what it actually was. And they and, take
1: into account the compounding nature of gen- generations.
0: But but yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah that's right. <laughs> so it's quite a bit more uh, than that, I think.
1: It'd be like, it a, lot, a lot more.
0: Yeah, your <laughs> math is better than mine. And so I think- what, That's high praise. Thank you. <laughs> that is very high praise. I think what you're looking at when you look at this history is a story that on the ground gets discussed as they were looking for freedom or something like that. And the thing that is a little unhelpful about that is that it neglects the realities of life that people went through and what it took to survive those things. Because as we talk about what we're going to talk about in sort of recent history in our present day, I want to stress that the knowledge of history is valuable in many ways. And I think that for me, it's it's largely valuable, not just in order to know things or to, as I need to do, get better at math or something intuitively, but especially as to know what to do. Right. Because when you see other people go through things, you realize maybe I could get through something like that myself if I did what they did or if I learned from their mistakes. And mere survival is enough hmm. <laughs> in many cases. It's not like when they came through the winter of Uh, you know, 1620, 1621, in the case of the Plymouth colony, they were, you know, flourishing. They were just alive. Mm -hmm. And in view of a lot of the stuff that we talked about last week with the Great Reset, I think it will be enough for people if they get through these things. Mm -hmm. I don't know that we're going to, you know, flourish necessarily. I don't know that anyone will. Uh, We can talk about that. But I think getting through them will be enough. And, and when I look at the first couple Thanksgivings in the different colonies, that's what I see. It's a story of Thanksgiving simply because I'm still here.
1: Which, again, remains somewhat of a unbelievable tenet to the modern American mind. And as, as I consider it right, and, and have these conversations with you and then go back to my day job as a local pastor, yeah. I'm torn because it's like, wait, I can't even tell... Most of my people, what I'm thinking is going to happen,
0: but I've got to, I've <laughs> right, got to, yeah. I've got to help us yeah. sort
1: of be ready anyway, and then hope yeah. that I'm just desperately wrong. Uh, I really, really want right. to be wrong about this stuff, right. um, yeah. but I don't think I am, and I don't think you are, and, and that's what scares me more, I suppose, and that's why yeah. I want to keep having these conversations, but to, to maybe circle around a different way, sure. my whole life, I have been driven by a need to write a fiction novel. And I I don't know, I'm sure it has something to do with my lineage and family and and whatever I perceived, you know, my father and my mother liked doing or whatever. But I got to a place uh, post-COVID where I really had the potential to spend some time writing one and then found Mm -hmm. I couldn't do it. And the longer 2020 has gone on, the more I'm contemplating whether I'd ever even want to. And I don't know why. Mm. Other than that, I've realized that it may not really help me if there's, I don't know, starvation going on in a year or two you know and, right. and you know where yeah, am right. i going to sink my hours it's not that i've got something more valuable i'm doing necessarily yet other than talking to you and saying well, what does this even mean why am i asking these questions <laughs> yeah. should i am i crazy am i you know all that so yeah. and and great reset talk dark winter talk when you get into it it's existential man yeah, it, is it is existential yeah. and it's dystopic
0: yeah i i think there's i think there's also there's also the reality that Part of the reason that great reset will be acceptable to many is because what you're offered in return, and this has always been discussed in terms of slavery, uh, literal or figurative or both at the same time, is that slavery is a condition of stability in which liberty is sacrificed for the sake of predictability of life. And so if you have that, if you're going to have Netflix, if you're going to have universal basic income or whatever sort of structure they're trying to erect or have already erected uh you're going to have you know the prescription medications that you need to kind of cope with the way modern life is set up the incredible aimlessness and meaninglessness of a lot of life the stresses you're going to be sufficiently well medicated and entertained what you can recognize is that when that when that happens and the degree to which it's already the case for many of us that Liberty is is always painful. Hmm. Liberty is um, a condition of life in which you seek freedom over safety. That's that's basically always the trade off. And that's true, not only in the founding of the American colonies, it's also true and it's something that was recognized even in sort of the Renaissance, about ancient people. So one of the things that they were saying was, as we've, devel- as we've discovered all of these new historical sources and gained a much greater understanding of our own past, which is part of what I'm trying to do for Americans with the United States, but they were doing it in the Renaissance with European civilization generally, they said, we notice that the ancients are much more jealous of their own liberty, that is, they fight to preserve it, but they also notice that the ancients are full of sort of vitality in every realm of life that they say, we don't have. We don't find people fighting for things like this. We don't find people fighting for their land. You know, and, and There's a story in the Bible about Naboth, and he, he's a farmer, right? And his land is going to be taken away by a king who basically wants to build a vacation home. <laughs> right. right, right. You know, And wants his land and Naboth doesn't want a bunch of other land. He just wants to hold on to what he has and he's willing to die for it. And he is betrayed by local officials who are in cahoots with the central official, who is really the king's wife. All of that sort of bureaucratic corruption story is very familiar to us at this point. And you can see that the reason that a man would foolishly refuse to sell so that the king can build his vacation home is because what he has and what is his own is worth far more to him than anything else. And if I have nothing and, you know, it's 2030, I don't don't own anything and I'm happy. What they're trying to tell me in, in a video like that that we talked about last week is that I'm going to be able to be distracted from everything that I don't have, the freedom that I don't enjoy, because of the comfort that I will be provided. Right. And something that you can see in the founding of lots of nations, not just the United States, is people preferring sacrifice and hardship, preferring a kind of temporary darkness, so that they can enjoy something that they understand to be better than present security that is tyrannical.
1: And I think that is the distinction you find between two types of conversationalists on the street today. Who call themselves left and right, but we've talked about how we, those aren't necessarily the best terms. But yeah. it seems to be it's those who prefer their liberty to those who prefer their safety. And maybe if we pursued the conversation that way, uh, we might get somewhere. What do you think? That's just off yeah. the cuff, right there. No,
0: I, yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I think that's insightful because I think that if you look at a lot of factors in America, in, in American life, you know, I mean, lockdowns have been stricter than anywhere in America in a place like Peru, you can go look at their COVID rates, et cetera. But just in the United States, America has been a place that it has been heavily medicated for a long time. Yes. And there's a way in which also a lot of the things that are sort of memes about Americans, like Fauci, who's from Brooklyn and now lives, you know, somewhere off I-95, I'm not really sure if he's ever been to a lot of other parts of America, but he said, you know, Americans have an independent spirit or foreigners will describe us as cowboys. That, that reduces, I think our history and the ways of being built on that history that reduces it to sort of a meme or something that can be dismissed. The way that we are is the result of historical experiences of preferring freedom to security and thereby gaining something that we see as invaluable and i think rightly so and when you're talking about well why are why are the differences so stark not just between states but within families there's media consumption something we've talked a lot about but there's also preferences for safety and a complete lack of risk in life and a lot of us have been accustomed for many years to not risking anything. Or believing we didn't have to.
1: I'd say no. believing we
0: didn't have to. Yeah. and, I mean, and there's a lot of risk
1: ha- going on. We just don't realize we're carrying a lot of risk, actually. Right, right. 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 And, and,
0: <laughs> and a lot of things have been structured to put us in positions where risk is completely mitigated, right? So like, it's actually really hard to buy your own land and raise your own food and not be completely swamped in debt it's much easier to get credit in order to go to college so that you can become part of a corporate machine. Yeah. That's easy and normal.
1: Yeah,
0: And you can move away from your family, but you have a job in healthcare. Okay? <laughs> and that's the idea. That's, that's what's normal now. So whereas in a previous time, <laughs> there was nothing like that, but you also didn't have to go to college. And if you farmed the land for a certain number of years, you'd get the land essentially at an extreme discount or free, depending on the arrangement. So even the way that life is set up legally and economically is intended to mitigate risk Mm -hmm. for everyone, including large corporations. And you're supposed to work within that, you know, and, and and even the lockdowns, the lockdowns have been hardest on people who risk the most in modern America, which are generally small business owners. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you work for Amazon or the postal service, you're okay. You're going to be fine because large corporations have, in many cases, increased in value drastically. Postal on service business, is an interesting
1: thing. I, I would interject at least here out in Rockford, where I have two postal workers who work for me. I'm not sure how long that federal investigation is going to limp, or federal uh, corporation is <laughs> going to limp along. Yeah. I mean, these little these little trucks are about done out here. They really are, and and. Uh, I, I don't know. They, they've yeah. talked. There's been internal talk as well about if, if Congress doesn't do this or doesn't do that, you know, we shut down on this date and all this kind of stuff. So, yeah. not not to dismiss, but your point I think is correct that the global initiative doesn't slow down. They're too big to fail, and they'll let you fail on the bottom. Right. They tell you this is us mitigating risk for all of us, but every time there is a cutoff, the water line happens to be higher than some of us, and yep. that's that's the thing that you have to either know you're buying into. And then you might just get cut off and not be ready. Or where I've come down then again is, I mean, I don't know what the right thing is to do today or tomorrow, but by the time I leave my kids 30 years from now, Lord willing, if I live a normal-ish American life, whatever that means from here on out – we all know how to work with our hands, get in the dirt and feed yeah. ourselves if we have to. And we're even doing it part time as a hobby as a means toward perhaps something even bigger. You know, I don't know what yeah. they could do with that. But, you know, I think that's a realistic approach to the present uh, for us. But then again, I, I look at the scenarios like the dark winter language being used and yeah. we should push back into that. And it's like, well, is yeah. that even fast enough? Is that, you know, how bad could things get as fast as they get? But let, let's Let's leave that for let's see prophecy for another time, and, okay. <laughs> and maybe maybe go to Operation in two thousand and one, and and sure. unpack that a little bit.
0: That's where the term Dark Winter sort of becomes current, and there's a there's a pretty good foreign policy article, the, the periodical foreign policy from earlier this year about Operation Dark Winter in two thousand one, which was a federal, uh, you know, an American federal operation overseen by a variety of federal agencies, um, including, I think, the National Institutes of Health. And I believe it was October 2001. So you're post 9 And there are some strange things going on there. Um, Judith Miller, who, if you remember the Iraq War, was one of the, be- the biggest personalities, journalistic personalities responsible at the New York Times for pushing us and thought leaders into Iraq in 2003, she was involved in taping and in uh, helping to organize this operation. So you have a conglomeration of government agencies with the press for their own purposes. This was not a public thing, obviously, but it simulated a a massive simultaneous biochemical attack on the United States. Hmm. And uh, one of the things that they learned from doing this to themselves was at least as they narrated it, that we do not have the medical capacity to handle such an attack. Hmm. Okay. No,
1: yeah, makes sense.
0: Sure. And uh, uh, so... I think the, the yeah.
1: only... What is it, the only way to win is not to play? Is that, is that how it goes? You got that one? <laughs> <laughs> do you know that yeah. one?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Just, I mean, yeah. You know so few, so I had to check. I had to check.
0: I, I, don't, I don't know a whole lot um, So that's Matt- all.
1: I'll go. Okay, it's Matthew Broderick, War Games, Uh, This kid gets caught up in the early internet, in an international gaming of potential future nuclear fallout between the U.S. and USSR. And they get in there, and and the AI takes over, and it's going to start the war to end the war. But they have to teach it with tic-tac-toe that the only way to win is not to play. Yay, Matthew Broderick, and yay, 80s kids. Here we go, Gen X. We're going to save the world. Thank you. Thank you, Americana.
0: I've always found reality to be so strange. I've never Mm -hmm. needed a supplementary drug, you know, it's never like, I mean, like what I, I what I just said was so weird, you know, because what happens with this phrase, I mean, that's sort of like forgotten, even though you can look into it. And there's some strange stuff like October, 2001, right? So I think we entered Afghanistan in October of 2001, I think, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but what happens in the narration that the government is giving itself is that you have a connection between Islamic terrorism, Iraq, and, Af- and the Afghani regime, right. uh, all in Operation Dark, Dark Winter. So, but what happens is the phrase comes back and it, it's in various places and you can get into some very, uh, more than I am, conspiracy-minded parts of the internet about why Tom Clancy video games and novels use the phrase between 2001 and now. That's all Ooh, kind of fun and go for it. As, yeah, sneaky. go sneaky. Go for it if you want to. What I do know is that the phrase has come back This fall 2020. Right. First, not in the context of Joe Biden. So let's be clear about that, because there are kind of two different current meanings to the phrase that are really important, I think, to hold together. The first meaning, which I first saw used in public by a British minister, very obscure, like a a, you know, Britain now has these these devolved governments for the different nations within the United Kingdom. And it's a Welsh health minister talking about a dark winter. And what he meant was the psychological toll of COVID restrictions that is coming as Britain enters into more lockdown. Yep. Yeah. So to me, that seemed highly realistic. And he wasn't really questioning the validity of lockdowns as, as you or I would. But he's questioning, what it, what are we doing to our people right. when we make them interact in this way or not interact at all? Well, and that's so actually that,
1: why I do question the validity of lockdowns is one yeah. of their effects is what it does to the people is far worse than what it says it predicts to stop. And none of the evidence I've ever seen says it's stopping anything. It looks like everything's going exactly as it would without them or worse. Right. So but right, anyway, totally. the, the, outp- the outcome still, I mean, is um, detrimental. It's just been detrimental. Uh, totally So okay But that was That's the first Understanding that's of Dark That's the Wonder first one Recently Which again Is of... the psychological toll Of the society We might even call this If you want to talk like You know Rules for radicals terms The demoralization Of yeah. the people Right, right. And, and you have a Welsh Minister saying I'm concerned about The demoralization Of this people uh, Here on the British Isle Which Right In, in recent uh, Conversation this week I heard someone else say You know London is not Britain's city It is the world's city so who knows you know the people on the ground there though what what i see as i as i follow uh, ivor cummings also who's an irish uh, heart health through meat and fat eating diet guy turned COVID watchdog, in my mind, some of the best okay. digging you can find every yeah. day, constant new information. He's concerned. Why? Because on the ground, the native peoples underneath the, this giant city, London, their lives are being destroyed while Amazon and McDonald's and whatever, like that, that city is going to go on. But Doing like fine. what's, right. what's going to happen is you know some of the longest lived people – on those islands. I mean, really, generation, 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 way back, blue collar and low and cockney and whatnot. And right. they're the ones that are gonna be just getting demolished by this right now. Not because COVID's killing them, but because of all of these other effects. And then right. what we're saying is like that may not be where you are right now here in you know suburban America, this aftershock slash tremor. But be ready, right? Be ready.
0: Yeah. And I, I think that when we talked about the great reset, you know, that's kind of a uh a once in future event, I, w- I would say that that demoralization of a people, especially of the working class yeah. in the Western world has been ongoing for at least 40 years. Deindustrialization means that you can't, you know, have kind of a normal life, just getting a high school degree and starting your life at 18 anymore. You have to be further educated or re reeducated. I, we should just start referring to the university right, system right. as the camp system in this sense. So yeah, so that's so that's one meaning is kind of the psychological destruction induced by continued unnatural life, let's say in our terms. The other meaning is the one that Joe Biden <laughs> uh president elect presumptive president announced president whatever Joe Biden whatever um Hey, hey, uh, all I
1: know is that Antifa is just an idea, which makes it safe, because right. ideas right. are always safe, which is why they would never shut down a podcast like this for just saying stuff ever, because just an idea.
0: Not at all. No, no. And so Joe Biden in talking about, you know, here's what I'm doing and his sort of like broken, you know, heavily medicated. I mean, Joe Biden is in some ways emblematic of what we're talking about, that we live in kind of a nursing home nation. Hmm. Heavily medic, obviously heavily medicated. He has more hair somehow than he did when he was vice president. His face looks different. Now,
1: now if we're going to go with hair and we're going to have a conversation about Biden, we got to bring Trump in just because about hair and vitality and the other side of the nursing home, which might have more, more, more stimulant than, than depressant going on. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: I think, I think if you're talking about medication, Joe Biden is obviously the establishment candidate. He He has way more Wall Street donations. He's got the CIA on his side. And what's representative there is that he's medicated in the sense of maintenance because Mm. the American medico-industrial complex is good at maintaining just the pure existence of life. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be high quality. You're going to be living in a nursing home tended by people who don't know you or care about you, but you get to keep existing. That's Joe Biden. Trump is an alternative vision of a heavily medicated America where obviously cocaine has been heavily involved at one time or another. Trump is stimulant America, which would be a pharmaceutically altered America. That's right. It's we Stallone's, Phil- tried. Stallone's Philadelphia, man. It's Stallone's yeah. Philadelphia. <laughs> I, do, I do understand that. But it's <laughs> so yeah, it's a, it's a completely different, and I'm not saying it's necessarily good, but it's definitely completely different. It's America on stimulants instead of uh, just sort of sedatives well so. and, you
1: know what and, and maybe that then to the cowboy effect right america cut loose uh, the, the the discovery side or and, you know and watch me here say this the discovery side of america the freedom side of america that has made in my mind america great now you would
0: debate that phrase again is that actually a great thing but i, I well we can go there well yeah i would i would say i would say like briefly and this is something that as we go forward, I I do want to talk about in terms of American history, because I want to tell the story of the people who built the thing. I mean, my son is reading about the American revolution right now. And he just pointed out to me randomly. To, I mean, he's my son. So maybe he got this from somewhere, but I didn't explicitly say this to him. He said, they always talk about the generals. They don't talk about the guys who shot the guns. <laughs> and I would like to tell the story of the people who shot the guns and, you know, planted the farms and cut down the trees and built the boats that traveled on the rivers. Because I think what you see is that America is a place where a group of people previously confined to a peninsula on the western side of kind of what one guy called the world island, that is Europeans, just go, they they go crazy. And there's a term for this in ecology called rewilding, Hmm. where I reintroduce to a habitat or I put in a completely new habitat and Hmm. see how it does. A, a species a life form that hadn't been there or hadn't been there for a long time and what happens is a people that have the printing press and gunpowder and all of that get introduced to a completely new environment and it changes people and right. everyone recognizes right them. right and that is our historical experience and so yeah there's 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 really something to that i mean in that sense, if you're gonna if you're gonna pick one form of pharmaceuticals to favor in American history, just go all the way back to Virginia with tobacco. You'd have to favor stimul- stimulants, yeah, yeah, tobacco over sedatives. And tobacco, yeah. and then
1: I think alcohol kind of would go with it as the before the depressant kicks in effect. Uh, so you right, your, your, yeah, right, you're right, 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 right. shooting, and then we crash <laughs> in the street till tomorrow morning, and that right. I think is American American history. Yeah. Uh, Which makes me think of a movie, God, just saying that made me think of the movie American History X, long time ago.
0: But I didn't tell, I didn't talk about the second meaning of dark winter. So that's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's right. Dark
1: winter then as COVID stats, right? Is that where we're going to? Biden's using dark winter to refer to COVID.
0: Right. Because Biden is not using dark winter to talk about psychological suffering or increases in suicides or something. He's using it to talk about sort of the horror scenarios with which we're all familiar now from the media. And I see it every time. I mean, you know, uh, a a local TV station is even in on this because they'll cover like they'll find the one guy in the community and then they'll show me a picture and the guy will have lots of other very obvious health problems. But, you know, local man fighting for his life. Mm -hmm. That's kind of Biden's narrative is Mm -hmm. that what's going to happen if we don't have nationwide mask mandates, blah, 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 blah. We're all going to be, you know, we're all going to be dying in the streets. It's going to be like the videos that if you were paying attention to this, as some of us were 11 months ago, (laughs) you were getting videos out of China of people collapsing on the street. Right, right. From a very different disease. uh, (laughs) Or the same
1: one man made much stronger crashing in nature as they do as virologists like Brent Weinstein would. Suggest might happen months ago. He said this would happen this week. Yeah. Just, I, and I, so I, smart the, those
0: those sorts of dark prophecies are what Biden means by dark winter, and and this is what we're looking at if we don't get with the program.
1: So what are we really looking at? I mean, your opinion. <clears throat> what do we yeah. have here? I mean, I I'll give you mine. Um, and I'm going to go worst case scenario with with a a touch of life remains easy. Okay. So mm-hmm. uh, Trump refuses to concede because he believes he has complete. Uh, right to believe he won and most of the people who I know who voted for him would agree with that Um, Mm -hmm. anybody who doesn't vote for him would not agree with that what is that number nobody knows that's part of the problem so he refuses to go and because he refuses to go and because everyone else is shouting Biden 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 for sure look he's a liar he's Hitler there's going to be violence somewhere probably in DC Um, whether or not he has a counterinsurgency plan in place will have a lot to do with how big that violence gets uh, how much has there been in fact conversations through the pentagon I I don't pretend to have any idea, but I can't imagine people don't have conversations. And so what happens? And my thinking is then by, say, January, we'll know whether that's happened or not. And if it hasn't, yeah. Biden's in the presidency and we just lock in and wearing masks or we're not, depending on Forever. how they feel, basically. Uh,
0: yeah, I th- there appear to be two different strategies that they've used this year that I think they'll use next year. And that is covid restrictions and then also violence street violence usually hmm. sometimes targeted violence i mean in in the suburbs of minneapolis they were sending you know crowds out to people's homes in completely random suburban developments hmm. so i think if and there are a lot of different th- kind of uh, electoral minutiae here involving vote certification, how those things are conveyed once the electors meet on December 14th, how they are conveyed to the federal government, they go to the National Archives. Uh, And then on January 6th, what Mike Pence, as president of the Senate, chooses to open, what set of ballots he recognizes. If he refuses to recognize any ballots, for instance, from Pennsylvania, then Pennsylvania's votes simply don't count in the counting of the votes, you know, there's there's a lot of different scenarios involved here, um, and it depends on what they want to do. Those are all sort of constitutionally potential things. There's also the role of the courts. I think whoever becomes president, I think it, I think if Trump is inaugurated again, you're go- because they don't they won't have nearly as much control over COVID restrictions in terms of changing daily life. They will do it more through the use of street violence, you may see another death of a, you know, let's say a man who pointed a gun at a pregnant woman, um, just like George Floyd did. You may see lots of things, but I think violence will be incited because it's obvious that that is a tactic that they have and they can cover it. They have shown that they're able to cover that uh, in a way that makes it at least for a time sympathetic to the populace. That's a lot harder to control and it's a lot harder to spin than local man is dying. Let's show you a picture of him with his kids five years ago. We're not going to tell you about his health history. Please wear a mask. That's much easier to accomplish, especially in a population that biologically, as we've talked about before, probably is not capable of revolution Mm -hmm. or uh, assertion of its of its liberties. So I think if Biden is inaugurated, COVID restrictions obviously tighten significantly. And the political fight shifts to an issue of federalism, in which case the federal government has a pretty much all-time winning record with no defeats, right? right, right. Uh, in American history,
1: hmm. what do you think that means, though? I mean, it, it, this is where I think Shapiro, you know, talks about them there be This is. I don't. Know, two months ago, I stopped listening. A month ago, whenever the election was, was it not two months ago? It feels like two months ago. So I know, long right? ago. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right after he's like, okay, Biden presidency is what we're going to have, and it's just going to be. We have a Senate. We have a, a more a more split House. It's just going to be locked off or a logjam for four years, and and then back back to it. I know you don't like Shapiro yeah. for a number of reasons, but sure. just without going down that road, can you yeah. kind of deal with the argument?
0: Yeah, I think one of. I mean. I, Maybe the most basic issue I've had with Shapiro the like the whole time that I've been cognizant of him is he's presuming a kind of I don't know 2010 nor- normal normalcy yeah yeah that's to what politics I'm and yeah, life yeah that is right. that I'm supposed to care about Republican control of the Senate if they can't even you know do what they need to do to ensure. That their guy is elected, they control all the state houses right. and these contested states, and they're not even working that hard. They're reverting it to the courts in in some cases. So it's it. He's like, okay, well, you know, okay, forget about what happened with Trump. Let's go for you know control of the Senate. It's kind of like that doesn't matter in a world in which control of the Senate is really a choice between you know who exactly will be on a Supreme Court of what size to tell us that like immigration controls are racist. Right, right. Because (laughs) without Trump, none of the stuff that excites people or that people turned out for in enormous numbers in all kinds of rallies throughout this year and in 2015, 2016, none of that really matters. People aren't excited for lower taxes. Mm. I mean, they would be like, like on its own isolated. But Your party platform is we we do what Kamala Harris does, except we're not going to push critical race theory quite as hard it doesn't matter you know what i mean like nobody oh, and that's, cares and that's the
1: runner republican issue that's been there for a long time is why they've the democrats and the De- democratic agenda has gotten as far as it has there has never really been a second party pushing back in any right. is, is significant way there's been a, a and this this is an argument i don't remember where i read this or who came up with this but the argument was against the evangelicals joining with the republicans in the first place and it was that they would never be able to achieve their goals but they did it to be expeditious and instead what happened was you know this big 50 years of evangelical vote basically had to play nice with big business that was pretty immoral in a lot of ways. And yeah. and, and it, here's where we are. And you never really have had a true other side party system as a result. You should have three parties fighting a little more. Um, and maybe you had to have some agreement between groups like to form a government. But that, yeah. I don't know, that didn't help England much. I don't know. What do we know? Let's, let's yeah. go back to Jamestown. James, sure. what do we need to know about that? Besides, the fact, why are they there? Let's Let's start with that. I mean, they're making money, right? Everybody. They're, they're, this is like bond servitude. You su- survive the winter, you'll be richer.
0: Right? Yeah, they are, they are making money. And as we talked about uh, before, you have the Virginia Company of Merchant Adventurers uh, as a sort of proto-venture capital firm backing both Jamestown and then a little more than a decade later. And, and you said
1: adventurers. You're not talking Dungeons and Dragons right now, right? You're talking about guys <sighs> no. who are risking their lives to adventure.
0: Well, in a different the, meaning the com- of the term, right? It's not the, an the company. Game. It, it's kind of like the term venture capitalist. There you go. The irony is that the capitalist is not venturing anything except his money. So, in the term adventurer, that's not actually the guy going on the adventure. He's the guy that puts up the money, money for the it. other guy on the it's adventure.
1: That's right. right. Yeah.
0: yeah. And so they're there in order to, they think, discover, in some cases, especially in Jamestown, gold, because there was an, there was a mistaken assumption. Based on what the Spaniards had discovered in other parts of the Americas, that the Americas were full of gold. So this, and casino element with yeah. cheese. I I do I do know about five. I know, I know. Go. This is
1: going to be a running gag? Like every seven episodes, we got to get it in. Don't say what it is. Uh,
0: <laughs> so, but I, I think that they they're obviously disappointed in that, and Virginia really would not have succeeded as a place unless. John Rolfe, who eventually marries Pocahontas, aka Rebecca Rolfe, unless John Rolfe had realized that they could cultivate tobacco as a as a cash crop. Right. So because otherwise, Virginia is very different from what becomes the Plymouth Colony a few years later, in that Virginia doesn't have a particular those guys don't have a particular reason to stay there, absent some I love, economic I love it. So, so
1: Virginia comes for money. Plymouth comes for conscience. But it, uh, behind that though, coming for money and conscience, Virginia comes for a mythology about gold, which I find interesting. So there is – there's like a superstitious level of belief about the new world and and, and what's going to happen there and be found there. And I'm really curious about kind of your first source or or what you've seen – I know you've done a ton of reading you know, from there that isn't just in the normal. Uh, you know, I saw Apocalypto that I think that made sense mm-hmm. and changed the narrative for me a little bit. And I was like, okay, that's mm-hmm. a good counterpoint to, to the rest of like the Aztecs were pretty awesome. And like, we shouldn't have killed them, and the Incas who knows, uh, but Scrooge McDuck had a game or that he did stuff with them. Like, yeah. like that's it. Right. Um, yeah. We're sad. Native Americans. You, you feel bad for that white Americans. And then that's it. But there's, there seems to be, more of a spiritual pull going on. Uh, the Aztec situation certainly with Cortez had uh, religious significance. I think for both parties. Um, I'm yeah. curious what you would say about all those weird things I just said.
0: Yeah. Okay. I mean, I think I think for one, there's a sense that the that the discovery of the Americas is earth shaking in the history of humanity. That they are discovering not simply another place, but an unprecedented sort of a place. And some of those expectations are disappointed. In the sense that they will think it, they think it will be enormously productive in every kind of precious metal that you could think. I mean, of. Do they
1: think it's Eden? Is that kind of the idea? Is it's like it's like going to be an Eden of sorts?
0: Uh, that maybe that it will become such. Okay. So this is the case with more the case with Massachusetts, or it's the reason that William Penn names Philadelphia after a city in the Book of Revelation, mm-hmm. because there's a sense that. God's judgment, and, and you see this even in sort of a, a spin off of Protestant Christianity, Mormonism, is the idea that the existence of the Americas will play very importantly somehow into the end of the world and the coming of Christ.
1: Well, and that ties you to the Plymouth reason for coming, right? I mean, so let's, I don't think we've really done that directly at all can you do i mean we got plenty yeah. of time here can you do just yeah. i mean and i know what i was told in my lutheran day school upbringing which is that it was about freedom of religion mm-hmm. um and i think i i believe that's true enough i like i look back in my say seminary education i would say this is probably Anabaptist being suppressed by the church of england in some way does that sound about right or am i completely way off That's just my guess of where they fit in in the the Reformation history. So, we didn't really, as Lutherans, we didn't study a lot of that, say, across the channel of Reformation. Not, sure. uh,
0: you know, just a touch. Sure. I know a couple guys got their yeah. heads cut off and stuff, but. So, the difference is that whereas Virginia, both in its founding, um, and you can, if you go to, if you visit Jamestown, you can see a chapel which is built to look like a Church of England chapel or from the 17th century, early 17th century, Virginia becomes in many ways, the most English of the colonies. It is a repl- it is a replica of England down to the way of life, the existence of feudalism. Okay. Massachusetts, what becomes Massachusetts eventually, what starts out as two separate colonies, Plymouth and Massachusetts Bay, but Plymouth especially is, is a new start and it's a new start, not in the sense of expectation necessarily, but in the sense of having to completely change what was. Because they as a group came directly from the Netherlands, where mm, they had fled mm. from where they began indirectly as what are called separatists. That is, they, can no, they no longer believe on the basis of the Bible that they can live inside the Church of England and find God's blessing. So it, it is about freedom of religion, the, the immediate cause of their leaving the Netherlands. William Bradford will talk about, you know, it was it was a strange place. We were Englishmen. We were living among Dutchmen. Our children were becoming Dutchmen. So there's a need for cultural preservation. There's also an immediate problem that their critiques of the church of England have gotten back to England physically as pamphlets and books, and they are being sought out both the remnant of them in England and the larger community in the Netherlands for persecution right, by right, the British right. government.
1: No one expects the Spanish inquisition and it's funny, but then again, see it's funny cause it's
0: true Hmm.
1: Anyway, well, yeah. But, but yeah, so they're, they're,
0: but they, they aren't, um, they are not Anabaptists. They believe in infant baptism. They will in fact outlaw not baptizing your child when they get to New England. Oh, so interesting. Ba- yeah. Ba- yeah. They're, so they're, they're not are, Anabaptists. No, no. They're, they're what you would call reformed Christians. Yeah, they're, Okay. Right. Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. Like they're, they're the, that's why the first great awakening has such a strong Calvinistic true fervor to it, right? It's because of their heritage and Edwards and all.
0: Yeah. They are Calvinist Christians. They disagree with Presbyterians over how the church should be governed. So they're congregational in their government. Each congregation governs itself. Oh, I see. Yeah.
1: How did Presbyterians
0: get separate from the Anglicans then uh, in that regard? Presbyterianism is going to center around the variety of church government that is at least promoted during the English Civil War after Plymouth is founded, oh, how interesting! Um, and that becomes established not in England but in Scotland. Yeah. Um, okay, so that, okay.
1: Okay. Okay. That makes Scotland sense. Then it comes out of Scotland. Then. Okay.
0: Yep. That makes sense. Yeah. So they they do come for a different reason. They have a higher. They have an immediately more difficult time, partly because of the harshness of New England's climate. The climate is simply more extreme generally in the United States than it is in the British Isles uh excepting the mid-Atlantic. So now, death rates are are high in New England and in Virginia.
1: And to try to give some some perspective on this, really uh global perspective, I think.
0: Yeah. What
1: other new world settlements are occurring timeline wise that do endure to this day are you know within give or take the next fifty
0: years of this of those those two, right? In that same circle. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much I mean pretty much anything that is germane today. So Latin American civilization coming out of both Spain and in the case of Brazil from Portugal, those places are coming to be. There's a lot more fluidity in who controls what, especially Brazil. There's a lot of very So strange, what I'm curious about is, do you know, yeah. how
1: much do you know about like the actual landing spots? Uh, I mean, is this like Sao, Sao Paulo? You know, I mean, where are the actual places where... We're first injecting this wild rewilding spirit yeah. of, of reality. I'm curious about that just out of curiosity. Yeah.
0: So that's that's a good question because that is one of the big differences between the different forms of if you want to call them civilization or ways of life between the different European colonization efforts that, and this will be recognized later on in the 19th century, some people in the, in the southern United States will say, look, the southern United States is more like Brazil than it is like Massachusetts. Hmm. And there's a sense in which that's true, at least for some, for a certain class of people. But English colonization will, and therefore the United States, what will become the United States, will favor small farmers far more than almost any other form because the different Catholic countries that colonize, France colonizes parts of the Caribbean, but, but most especially what becomes Quebec,
1: mm.
0: and then Spanish and Portuguese colonization in Central and South America will be much more heavily state-controlled, ideologically organized by the Catholic Church, a unitary hierarchical organization. And they will replicate in the new world especially sort of feudal forms of being with a a clear aristocracy. And that will not exist among the English to nearly the same degree, not even in Virginia. Now
1: I've never quite understood why, but I'm pretty sure that's why uh, south of the border in in Mexico, you have a culture that is really much more a a feudalism still a relic of feudalism. And then north of the border, you have the industrial farmer, Right. Uh, in one way or the other way, well, he's pumping oil or whatever. Well, he's opened up a shop. He's an industrial farmer of some kind. He's trying to just yep. turn a profit and make food. Uh, yep. Now they're growing. There's farmers in Mexico. Don't get me wrong. But right. they're farming for a Lord usually still. They kind of, that's still the mentality still. And yep. up here, you're kind of farming for yourself uh, and fighting the Lord from time to time.
0: It, yeah. And one of the big debates in early America, once it becomes its own country between Jefferson and Hamilton basically comes down to what is the backbone of America. And for Hamilton, it's going to become commerce, money, banking, trade, manufacturing. And Hamilton wins historically. Jefferson, I think, is right about at least the American past, which is the backbone, the reason that life is the way it is in America in Jefferson's time and after Jefferson's time. And I think the reason that we have an independent spirit at all is partly because the land was always relatively freely distributed and you rose or fell on your own. The very thing that
1: is the sales pitch to get away from, right? So now today, you don't have to rise or fall on your own. You can just come and sit here and recline and we will give you corn syrup and we will give you uh, (laughs) blue light and we will give you caffeine. Um, The debt is just part of what you have to deal with. And don't worry about your children. We'll take care of those too. Um, right. Your organs are ours when you're done. Did you want a book? I'm sorry, only movies. Now, please sit still. Um, you'll be dead soon. Oh, but not until you can get all the juice out of your battery. I actually have had the thought now, Adam, twice, like this week. It's vacation time for me, so I really am just wandering around, pondering the universe. I had the thought, I was like, maybe the Matrix is real. And, and with like a full Christian reality, like like the, 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 the computers that made the Matrix, that is real, accidentally left the Bible inside the Matrix. And now we're still, you know, existing as the church over and against their great overlordship which we don't even have to know about we're fine why not? Why not and make a good book? I'll tell you that. So <laughs> uh, we've, got, we've got 10 minutes here. Yeah. We've got some time for some questions maybe. We've got a lot. Yeah. Getting, I just say a lot. We are getting more from you. Thank you for your uh, questions. And what I love about the questions that come in is they do not take what we're saying sitting down usually. A lot of times uh, they, they right. want to call attention to things we've missed and all that, which is great. Because the fact is um, we're all smarter together when it comes to the Internet and working with a narrative in the white noise. Um so uh we'll start here with I think hold on, hold on, hold on. uh tu-tu-tu-tu. I'm going to start with the one from Sharon. This one's a little more just a, a kind of a thank you, I think. Um, I am so honored to be a subscriber to the newsletter. This is the Mad Christian Mondays, which does dovetail into a brief history of power, topics, and ideas, although it definitely has a Christian bent stronger than this show does. Uh, I love that the live stream message you put together for election night, and again, that was a, a converse of things. I'm a 73-year-old, and I'm very frustrated with the state of our nation today. I'm very grateful that someone from our church body is bringing to light the evil that is creeping into our lives. Satan is very busy. So many churches are staying are saying just obey the government at all costs and have bought into the lies that we aren't loving our neighbor if we don't wear a mask uh, i grew up with the message that if you wear a mask you have something to hide uh, some have even altered the way the sacrament is distributed sorry for the rant and please keep bringing to the truth blessings in christ from sharon so there's just a little bit of uh, people being encouraged that we're at least having these conversations and trying right. to bring in some semblance of common sense um and it is true that there is the other voice out there even within our church body that would say you know pastors shouldn't ever talk about such things you might might be wrong you might mislead people and i said like, well yes that that's why we should have these conversations because we all might be wrong and mislead people we should be doing it together so right. i get, this one's i think going to be a little more uh, of a question here uh, so from from roger he says uh want to share a brief comment on a brief history of power i remember seeing an interview with barbara bush and she was talking bush family being a power out of a sense of noble uh, noblesse oblige I don't know if that's, if I'm saying that right, the obligation of nobility, I assume that the Bushes assume they are of a nobility class. You just want to have a comment on that?
0: Yeah. And I think one of the ironies is how little time it takes to do that, because I think two decades before H.W., the first Bush president, or two generations before him, they were still sort of functionaries within uh, railroads, which was uh, kind of the Silicon Valley in the tech industry of its time. So... Hmm. I, I, I don't know that it's possible to have noblesse oblige uh, just by having money. I think if that were the case, then we would have a lot more of that demonstrable right. in America. Trump would, there was, have,
1: Trump would be in on that then, right?
0: There, yeah, there would, be, there would be more of that, or it would have increased as our GDP increased in the 20th century, and it seems instead to have shrunk. So we go from Carnegie libraries with, with a 19th century fortune, I mean, uh Trump uh, but i mean people far wealthier than Trump are not doing similar things mm. nowadays so there are some you know, out of silicon valley there are i hear about philanthropic stuff but so much
1: of it is tied to agendas too
0: yeah uh, right.
1: so which it's not as though the the carnegie stuff wasn't ever tied to agendas but certainly there was a in search of Christian America, in search of Moral America, there was a an aptitude for virtue that was in the in the air back then, that yeah. seems to have been lost in uh, the, the land grab of the casino these days at the very top. Mm-hmm. Again, which brings me to the conviction that it must eat itself or be have its head chopped off sooner than later, because uh, it has to re- it has to maintain life on the planet to some level. Like we can't have life completely be destroyed under one single conglomerate or the scene of the world. Of course, that's my eschatology. Uh, so at some point, you know, if they're trying to make a global power it's got to either fail or in the world that's you know it's kind of random thinking um yeah. but so I, I i don't think they can actually achieve what everyone's so worried they're going to try to achieve because i don't think it can happen historically And if it were to, then the the world would end before it happened. Right. So like, for me, it's not as worrisome and I can even talk about it and be like, this is kind of interesting. I should prepare for help people if they're suffering. But at the end of the day, I have all these convictions that allow me to walk through it. The show though, is really trying to help everyone do that in some way, just be commonsensical about where they find themselves. Right. Um, I said a lot there. Do you want to, do you want to add to that though? I don't want to, I want to walk. I, I mean,
0: I, I, I think, I think noblesse oblige relies on a settled pattern of behavior and especially an intergenerational sense of responsibility for people who are less fortunate than you. And it's nearly impossible to create those in the United States, certainly at the present time. So, so here's a longer one. This is from
1: Lester. He says, uh, uh, Appreciate the brief history of power on the Great Reset. Couple things. Couldn't find the short Davis video describing the Great Reset. Could you provide a link? And I believe we sent one. Um, there are going to be using climate alarmism as a reason to enslave and eliminate us. Even some Christians buy into the narrative, so we need to show them the scientific proof of its dangers. Do you have a yeah. suggestion for doing that? This week I found that Creation.com released a very informative 14,000 word report on their scientific analysis of climate change debate that is based on the Christian biblical worldview. Now, just as an, he gives a link here. as an aside, you know in my experience, anyone who does that, even if it's true and completely true and completely true, they're going to be dismissed because they're not the mainstream. and Correct. so it doesn't matter what they yes. said, it doesn't matter how true yeah. it is. So that's great if you want to have information for yourself. you should arm yourself for that information. Um, I don't know how creation.com, whether it's valid myself at this point, but just know you're not going to convince anybody with that. Just, just don't pretend you're going to convince anybody with that in general right. um, Not if right. they've already uh, not not if they will not eat the red pill, if they won't take the red pill they're insisting on blue pill, then facts don't help. He yeah. goes on. They have over 85 references to support their conclusions. I'm sure they do. <laughs> I like the summary from the report and I'm not going to read all the summary here, Adam. I want to let you yeah, um, respond, fun. but let's see if I'm going to skim down in the end.
0: Uh,
1: well, yeah, you know, let's just go ahead and go
0: from there. We'll, so that's why it. we focus on how narratives are constructed and then what occurred, that either contradicts or complicates those mainstream narratives, because the issue is not that the person that says, I just love science or believe science or science is back, you know, that person is not saying that because he's an amazing biochemist. He's saying that because science is a kind of club or a weapon. Mm-hmm. It's how our inquisition functions. Right. Right. So you, in order to change people's minds, you have to give them a sense of the absurdity or the falsehood or the idiocy or the errors of what they're saying. You don't have to refute things point by point because that's not how people are convinced of anything to begin with. Which
1: is where I, I wrote a book recently called Talk Them Into It. It is about Christianity and talking people into Christianity. But one of the main things in the book is just about how to have a conversation. And to realize that if you're in a conversation with an opponent and someone who does not want to learn from you, they think they're right and they think you are wrong, then the best thing you can do is become their disciple. And in being their disciple, never tell them anything. Just ask them questions and constantly, and then say, thank you. And then just keep asking questions, ponder until you have another question. Because if you ask the questions that don't make sense to you about their wrong point of view because yeah. it doesn't make sense and let them have to work the answers out. Eventually they will confuse right. themselves and then they will say, wait, this doesn't make sense. And they, yeah. m- they might learn, they might ask you. And then once they've asked you, now you're the master and they've asked you to be, and now you can teach. Yeah. So that's, that goes everywhere. Any conversation, by the way, that's, that's gold <laughs> by everybody. Yeah. Buy it, own it, use it. <laughs>
0: Go ahead. Yeah, I think there, I think there's a, there's a passivity and an ease in believing what you're told. And so it's not like people can go back. They haven't, they haven't, I mean, people aren't even looking up like the director of this, the head of the CDC said in February, masks shouldn't be worn by healthy people. And now he says the opposite. Yep. So what I'm we've said this before, they rely on people's being stupid and lazy. Yep. So if you can give people a sense that the reason they think what they think is not because they're so smart or prestigious or high status. It's because they're being stupid and or lazy. That's going to be more effective for changing their minds than than, you know, refuting everything point by point.
1: So that's where I've kind of always seen apologetics in Christianity this way, but it really applies to defending a common sense worldview as well. Uh, The the place of apologetics is for your own conviction. when someone has thrown you off your mark and you're not sure anymore about your own point of view and you're like, I got to have an answer to this question. And Mm -hmm. you don't want to go to an untrusted source who's just going to be biased and and give you some sort of pile of lies. Try to find a good apologetics work on the issue, preferably one that gives you both sides of the story if you can, uh, which is generally not going to come from somebody who's on a, what should I call it, securityist's. Uh, worldview, right? As opposed to a freedomist's worldview. These are not they they, categories yeah, it's, yet, it's, but they're it's we're, not we're gonna it. come from
0: somebody that has their, you know, has their their medication day by day inside their plastic container and there's always more pills that they have to take. That person is himself sick and therefore is going to teach sickness as health, which is exactly what we're doing right now.
1: So do you wanna really upset everybody right here at the end?
0: <sighs> yeah, sure.
1: Okay, so, so you and I have had some conversations about man and woman, and this is because we are Bible believing Christians, and so we're aware that our views on masculine, feminine, man, woman are different than you know the the, the uh, what I, in Mad Mondays this week I think I called it the transdrogenized world, the transdrogenized yeah. world. Yeah. I, think, I think that's yeah. fair.
0: Yeah.
1: One of the things you shared with me that I've, I've pondered a lot is how historically speaking. And don't count if you've had it pitched to you like on a commercial your whole life and you want to be Mulan now because of that story. But before that, historically speaking, women didn't cross mountains and men did. There's a certain sense of discovery that men desire, which women actually don't want men to desire because it makes – everything unsafe uh, for everybody. And and the women want the safety and the security. And so they'd rather hunker down for the winter than try, say, going across the ocean uh, to the new world and back because we're Vikings or whatever, right? So what I found interesting about that then today, why I bring it up, is in this discussion of freedom and safety, the discovery masculine male concept that, you know, archetype, if we can use that term, um, that, that you have suggested that I think is quite right, that is what the right quote-unquote, ideology is at the moment. And then the uh, the safety-security archetype, the female archetype, is what the left ideology is. And I don't think it's accidental that feminism is a driving force behind this right. and that the hatred of a father is a driving force behind this and that the, uh, the Magna Carta against the king uh, might still just be echoing through history in really fascinating ways.
0: I don't know. I don't know. What do you think about any of that? I think that when you're looking at the idea of trans, like our, our, what our culture being trans kind of categorically is, I think, right. That is that women are encouraged to behave like men historically, to be you know, girl bosses, and men are encouraged to be feminized. Um, and in some sense, based on just xenoestrogens in our water supply, like atrazine, we are more feminized than our grandfathers were on a, on a biochemical level. In addition to that, I think that you're dealing with a situation where you have to ask yourself, and I think I first started asking myself this question in terms of why are there voting disparities between men and women, even in the same racial and socioeconomic groups? So you say whites with a college education, you still have voting disparities based on gender, but it's much bigger than that because you also have... Women are the vanguard of orthodoxy and of orthodox enforcement in any variety of totalitarian regimes. That is, it seems it seems historically that women are simply more orthodox, whatever the orthodoxy is in their place and time. Because of security.
1: They want to keep things stable.
0: Yes. And they they want to know what the rules are.
1: Gift, by the way, if anyone says, well, how dare he say that? Really? You think it's offensive? I think you want to keep stability. Really?
0: Yeah, go home. So I think that what you're what you're getting then is that women will both be better with accepting that they have to wear a muzzle in public and they will be more assiduous in telling other people that they have to and wear this a muzzle in is public. So
1: crazy. So that the feminism is leading the charge back to the burqa, like accidentally. Yeah, right. It's yeah. so crazy. And they've yeah. been doing this for a while anyway, with the trumpeting of Islam and immigration. And don't worry about Sharia a lot. I'll be fine later. And and um the most stunning thing of everything you said there is reminding me, I haven't thought about this for probably two years now is the estrogen in the water, man. Um we bought we bought a Berkey two years ago and I started thinking about the impacts of estrogen and other chemicals on my on my own body. Um and as a guy who hasn't been able to grow facial hair most of his life, I will say, I mean I don't I can't guarantee it but but I'm there's more now. And uh so dealing with what you're drinking carefully, being aware of what chemicals the government is putting into you without your permission in the water supply. Um well, you know, that's on you, right? And if you've been drinking plastic water bottle estrogen your entire life and you can't figure out why those little man boobs won't go away well guys i mean you're you're hormoning right. it up right i mean yeah, or or right. they're doing it to you and you feel like how could they do that that's not fair i don't like this world remember the devil exists oh i'm sorry this is a secular podcast remember that fate and consequence and the random chance of the big bang has no guarantee to give you justice and so uh wake up and smell the they, the coffee's still good, right? Can we have coffee? Do you drink coffee, Doctor Kuhn? Since you've never I desired do. any stimulants at all, as you said earlier yeah. on the show.
0: No, that's sure. That's fine. I drink coffee. There now. you go. But it I, is I, the I'm chief using, and queen I'm, of them all. I'm using filtered water. You know, I'm using yeah. filtered water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a yeah, yeah. I think I I think that the the issue here is not so much the existence of women as the feminization of men even on a biological level let alone a sort of an emotional level and the the issue there pertains to liberty versus security because Mm -hmm. what you're dealing with is that historically you just have to accept that women being biologically smaller and weaker are not the people who decide what a civilization will be like men do either by acquiescing in slavery or by maintaining their own liberties, whatever those are in that place. And let me just
1: cut right through that and on it. And that's why I'm convinced that this cannot survive as it is, because the asymmetry of the weak ruling the strong will only last so long until one who is among the so called you know strong but but barbaric becomes yeah. strong enough to drive right. and unite them all, and when he does he or it'll be a he when he does he will not care about the weak at all he and so right. those that he conquers those he tears down and this is the way the 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 whatever that is whatever tribal warlord or conglomeration of them or one after the other in series of years over decades whenever that happens um, it happens because the top believes it can't happen and because they're in fact unable to defend themselves in real time. And right. that's yeah. kind of where right. we all just want to be awake every day. So yeah, and I'll throw it right back at you there.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I, so I, I think that the kind of disparate things that we've talked about today tie together in that you can see that it's obviously much more helpful if they make you worried and therefore desperately needing security. And if they make you weaker, even on a biological level, not just an emotional level. If they make you somebody who is unable to resist and who is simply longing for security. I mean, I think there were plenty of people who were living a medicated life of lockdown long before 2020. I was in so many ways for sure. And so 2020 did not interrupt that. It accelerated it and gave them a reason to enforce their lockdown way of life on everyone else. It
1: did. But I think also there were a good number of us that said, wait a minute. And then the more that we ask the question, the more we decide that. Wait a minute, when did I get put in captivity? I didn't agree to that.
0: Right. Yeah. Right.
1: I, I never. I, know, I wasn't. I didn't sign that one. So. <laughs> in that then, we do have one more uh, question sure. here. Do you have a little more time still today or do you have to be yeah, somewhere? Yeah, sure. No worries. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, I'm on vacation in theory right now. so
0: Awesome. Uh,
1: yeah, it's great. I-, I hope this is the right place to have uh, ask a question about Brief History of Power as came through the the other page. Yes, absolutely. By the way, if you do want to send a question, send it through revfist.com slash contact until we're doing significantly more damage with this podcast than I'm doing with my other stuff. Brief History of Power just doesn't get its own branding and website and all that stuff. Someday, I imagine it will. This is going to be a bigger deal, but it takes time to build that capacity. And until right. Otherwise, Wise, go through contact. I hope this is the right place to ask the question. Yes, it is. I uh, love the podcast, by the way. I'm a 65-year-old white woman listener. Awesome. That's our target. No, but you know what? When you target yeah. young men, you know what happens? Everybody listens. people like it. it's strange yeah, right. yeah I, know. It's, I know i i am extremely disgusted with politics she says you can guess why yes uh, i have been exploring <laughs> christians who are libertarian okay however it seems to me their views on government are a little contrary to lutheran ideas of two kingdoms uh the commandment to honor father and mother and government by extension uh could you two do a show on reconciling comparing contrasting libertarian views versus say lutheran say christian views or other views i would say too um thanks yeah. so much and probably not a whole show right now but uh, if I can just say two kingdoms would not be a framework I would use even as a Lutheran to try to understand uh, government. Um, instead, I would I would look to the, just the fourth commandment uh, initially. But why
0: don't you go from there, though? I think a really big problem that Lutherans have is that they generally don't understand American political history or American political philosophy. And therefore they either jump fully into a kind of libertarian abstraction from that, which can be debated on its own philosophical terms, but is an abstraction because American political history and philosophy are located inside the history of the common law and of English political traditions. And Lutherans will often reject those things because they sound too unbiblical or they sound too, quote, enlightenment. And the enlightenment is kind of a a boogeyman for a lot of Lutherans, certainly in the present day. So there's a poor integration there. I would say that if you run from the fourth commandment, you run your thinking from the fourth commandment, some things become clearer. What I think, unfortunately, doesn't become clearer, for which you do need to read Thomas Jefferson's Notes in the States of Virginia. Note, uh, notes on the state of Virginia, you need to read uh, the Federalist Papers, you need to read, you know, the Declaration of the Constitution, obviously, is to understand that American tradition, how is Caesar, very abstractly said, how is government constituted in america and that has its own history and terminology and if you're going to live here you need to get that you need to understand that not only so that you can grasp what's going on and how to react to it but also so that you can understand how to integrate it into your own thinking as a christian and a lot of people fail to do that because in lutheran circles there is a predilection that i don't share at all but i observe it everywhere they just want to know what the rules are and how to obey yeah, we're them. We're trained
1: to obe- obedience. Absolutely trained to obedience, which is what the, the America system is doing too. We sit down and raise your hand if you have a question and you know we'll come we'll help you stay there, don't disturb anything and we yeah. love that and we absorbed it I think because it got us in the casino with an early land grab so up to the my father's generation, my mother's generation they were able to ride the American white experience of a continually better life um, what they maybe did not realize is that that land grab time would be lost. And if you didn't use it to jump to the next level and you just spent it, then your your family groups are going to effectively be on the same level as all the other impoverished ethnic communities that remain as the brutal, right. uh, ground yeah. level bulwark, the Rust Belt bulwark of Americana. And what the LCMS has not recognized is because we've never learned to think that is our destiny as a group, but we've gotten used to a, uh, you know, almost higher tier, middle class, eat out yeah. lifestyle. And that's going to go away for all the church workers, anyone going into church work, for all the people who really kind of are the, the brand yep. name LCMS, mainly because they refused to acknowledge their uh, their fortuitous summer harvests when they had it, and uh, instead tore the house down by trying yep. to look like the evangelicals and get bigger than they were, rather than building what they had for the winter that was going to come. And I, Forgive I, I, me, th- LCMS, but uh, yeah, Cassandra, I've been saying it for years,
0: really. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I think there's there's also the reality that the that the Missouri Synod is in American terms a Johnny Come Lately, and that the American Revolution and the 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 terminology surrounding that things like natural right were not abstract discussions; they were they had a historical basis, but they also weren't for the purpose of the casino. Hmm. You know, I, I really despise it when Lutherans go after the phrase, the pursuit of happiness, hmm. as if that is that is somehow about, you know, some sort of disgusting, you know, just I love to pig out at Dave and Buster's and watch Netflix. The, the point of that and the point of the revolution and the reason they say that they are risking their lives, their fortunes and their sacred honor for the sake of freedom is not some sort of abstraction or the right to like have eagles flying across the screen as you wear american flag t-shirts. The point was that someone else doesn't determine your life. Yes. You do. And they understood that. Or your
1: god, right? Yeah. And they understood that too. Yeah. But if it was your god, that, that was cool man, right? So just to be fair, is that's part of the freedom and that's why I think it's worth fighting for. I mean, you know, and r- I and I, I
0: think yeah, and I I think that we came a lot later than that, most of us, yeah, and sure. so we we, n- we never understood that. We thought it was, we thought we were just showing up in a casino, and so we resented a lot of that. But in addition to a casino, I think it was always also a forest to explore. It was always also a garden to be cultivated, and the best parts of that were for the sake of the forest and the garden, not for the casino.
1: Hmm. Oh, and and then in that way, LCMS history built good communities when it built them but they were built not to retain the culture but to kind of push what into the more more uh general populist education system and what's what while at the same time almost every other ethnicity that uh would be doing that would be retaining their ethnic heritage by virtue of not being white i think and uh, and so by virtue by quote unquote virtue of being white, uh, LCMs lost basically any ethnic identity whatsoever uh, in its its heritage, except for those who yell about it, and no one wants that back either. So I, I don't yeah. know, that, you know, this is matters in a sense, but it, it is part of this the history of power in the American experiment. Of uh, here's another what do you call it? Ideologically driven yeah. pilgrim group arriving on these right. shores and lasting for three generations, maybe five. Before the the, um, the other experiment here simply
0: just swallows them up into its bigger picture. I I think that the important thing to understand about Lutherans is that, and I, I know Lutherans don't like the term, and you have your theological reason. That's fine. Sociologically, Lutherans are Protestants, mm-hmm. and the LCMS was not. It wasn't just that they were white; they were white Protestants, mm. so they could integrate more easily than. Antonin Scalia or you right. know Ruth Bader Ginsburg, or uh, look at how Irish Catholics have behaved. And they're still very loyal to the Democratic Party, more maybe than any other white ethnicity, as much as we can measure those things. So the LCMS was white and Protestant. So becoming mainstream was simply easier and more natural. As soon as you hmm. took English as your native language, I think the, the poor integration historically, and so I wouldn't say, yes, please jump directly to libertarianism. I don't think libertarianism is a good reflection of American political philosophy. I think it's way too abstract. But go understand those things, go read those things for yourself. I think we have not yet integrated into our thinking, our theology, and certainly not into our behavior because a lot of us just folded up shop as soon as someone who claimed to be important told us to. We have not integrated into our thinking and our behavior what the country was founded upon, even though we were able to economically integrate benefit from
1: it. And so now what we're going to do, again, uh, it, it would seem. Uh, That a good percentage of of the populace that is our ethnicity and our culture and our church body is Mm -hmm. just going to roll with whatever uh, agenda comes down the pike. The real question would be if the vaccination became a mandatory thing, that would, I think, raise hackles for some if it was mandatory, period. And then if it's mandatory and abortifacient, then we might actually change our minds. That would be the only thing I could think that could change the mind of the body. Um, but even that, I'm not so sure. It might split us in half. Uh, we're that we're that interesting as a group. If you care, because hopefully not all of you are just LCMs Lutherans <laughs> tagging along for the ride on this show. A brief history of power two white guys. We're trying to do a little more than that. But thank you for letting us go in intra s- intracellular. I, <laughs> I know why inside, that was there. Inside baseball. Inside baseball. Inside I wanted baseball. to call it intracellular baseball. The next word that would come out was going to be baseball. What is it? Um, <laughs> Oh, I have a way of making this even worse if I can remember it. Uh, I've done it before and I've got to call it to mind. Um, not the sharpest cookie in the forest, me. That's it. Not the sharpest cookie <laughs> in the forest. Briefest Power 2 White, guys. You can contact us at slash contact. Otherwise, get out of here. We'll catch you next time. Goodbye. Have a good Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm.